It's been a crazy week at camp for the last two weeks. As you watch those videos, it's a reminder that God is still alive in this generation. I'm thankful for our church's passion to see the next generation saved. As a result of that passion, we continue that on, reaching children in our neighborhoods. Uh, For generations, we have done vacation Bible schools and churches all across the land. What we've discovered in the last few years is that very few children from the community are coming onto church campuses. That's not just true at PCBC, that's true in most churches today. And so we have uh, started a new strategy starting this summer where we're taking Vacation Bible School into the neighborhoods. Uh, Laurelin has worked with our church. We have seven different locations to kick off our first year. We'll be taking VBS into those neighborhoods and community around the shadow of our steeple. I hope that you'll start to pray about it. And most of you in this service know other families with children that need to be a part of one of those VBS groups. They can go onto our website. Please get the word out to your neighbors and your friends. They can sign up on our portal there through the website. And Miss Laurelin will get them to the closest campus of one of those seven to their home. So be praying about that. Make sure your kids are signed up and help us get other kids signed up as well. Well, let's dig into what it looks like to live a life walking in the Spirit. There's a big difference between walking in the Spirit and walking in our flesh. There's so much teaching in the New Testament, not just about how to be saved, but how to live saved. And I've told you before, I believe the church has done a great job of teaching people how to be saved, how to know the forgiveness of God, but I'm not so sure the church has done a great job of equipping us to live our new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul is going to teach us great things. The Lord Jesus is going to teach us through his parables. Turn to Matthew 13, where we've been studying. It's the parable of the soils. We've looked at several soils so far, learning that the soil is a picture of the condition of our hearts. And it's a condition of your heart that determines the fruit of your life. When you take a look in the mirror, when you take a look internally, when you stop and think what's going on in my heart, you got to look for the fruit. The fruit will show you the root. And we can either walk by our flesh and the desires of our flesh, or we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, and walking life in the Spirit of God. And so we took you uh, to the fruit of the Spirit, what it looks like if you're walking in the Spirit, and we did our checklist. If you haven't been here, maybe you've been traveling this summer, write this list down, and I want you to grade yourself from 1 to 10. I want you to ask yourself, if people looked at my life, would they see the fruit of love? If I'm looking at an apple tree, I'm going to see apples. If I'm looking at an orange tree, I'm going to see oranges. If I'm looking at a bluebell tree, I'm going to see bluebell. And that's what I see on most trees when I look at a tree. That's just the way you look. That's the fruit that is a result of the root, okay? So am I a peaceful person? Am I known as a joyful person? Am I a person who is patient, self-controlled, kind, gentle? Grade yourself, and if you fall short of a 10, that means you're walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit. The Spirit of God transforms our life, not just so we have eternal life one day, but that we live an abundant life every single day. But before there can ever be fruit in our life, there has to be a root. And before there can be a root, there must be seed that's planted in the soil, a soil that receives the seed, and that's the issue of your hearts. Well, two weeks ago, we looked at the first soil Jesus talked about. He talked about four conditions of the heart. He talked about the first one. It's like that pathway soil, that that hard pan that has been walked over and over and over again where it becomes just hard pan. 
It's a lot like the, the fields here in Oklahoma. The longer they bake in this hot sun, they become harder than asphalt. A lot of you know that I had some horse accidents back in 2012. One of the last ones was the trashing of my knee. I got caught in a stirrup, tried to bail out of the saddle, hung up, and my knee went pile driving into what I thought would be soil, only to discover that field was harder than an asphalt parking lot, shattered my whole knee. And it's because it was baked under the heat of the sun, and the Bible talks about your heart can be the same way. It can bake in the heat of the issues of life. We can become bitter. We can go through life experiences. Instead of experiencing the joy of the Lord, we lose that joy because we have a hardened heart. Last week, we talked about the rocky soil. It was soil that the farmer had plowed, and he had tilled it to a certain depth and didn't realize that just a little lower was limestone. And as a seed was planted, it would take root. It would burst up because it couldn't go down. It would hit that bedrock and it would shoot it straight up. And then it too would fade. That would not bear fruit. It would burn out as well, all because of being rocky soil. Well, today, Jesus introduces us to a third type of heart. It's called the thorny heart. Take a look at it. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 7. And Jesus said, other seeds fell among the thorns. And the thorns came up and choke them out. Verse 22, Jesus interprets this thorny soil. He says this, and the one to whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man, the woman, the teenager, the mom or dad, the young boy, young girl, whose heart hears the word, and the worries of the world, and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes out that word, and it becomes unfruitful. So you have a condition where Jesus says your heart can bear great fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, or your heart can be unfruitful. It can actually bear wrong fruit. It can bear thorns and thistles. This is a dangerous condition because it receives the seed, it starts to bear fruit, but the fruit never makes its way to maturity. It gets choked out by the thorns. Now here's what's fascinating to me. I don't know of anybody, I asked the first crowd, and a lot of them grew up on farms, the older generation. Uh, they're the legends of farming in, in our nation, or at least their grandparents, they can track it way further back. And I asked them this same question, has anybody ever gone down to Ace Hardware or to a nursery or wherever a farmer's co-op and said, can I get some weed seed? Can I, can I get a thorn bush? Now I get it, roses are a different exception, they have thorns, but I'm just talking about uh, those thorns, those, those stickers that get stuck in your socks that you can't go walking in the average lot anywhere in this country because there are thorns and thistles. Nobody plants them. Nobody has planted them. But where are they coming from? Well, the Bible answer, it comes from Satan. Well, I'll take you a little bit back, further back. Go to Genesis chapter 3. You don't have to turn there, but you can remember in Genesis chapter 3. Where did the thorns and the thistles come from? Well, it came from man's decision to reject God's design and desire other things. And it says in verse 17 that God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree, which I commanded you not to do, because of that choice, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. There will be both thorns and thistles. So the byproduct of that simple choice was this physical reality of thorns and thistles before they lived in a perfect garden without sin and without corruption. And after their sinful choice, everything began to decay and be in corruption. 
And as a result, there became thorns and thistles. It would be a reminder to man of what sin does in our life. It's a physical picture of a spiritual reality. And in this parable, Jesus would draw uh, attention to the thorns and to the thistles. He would use that to say the same thing that happened on the planet Earth there in the garden is the same thing that can happen in your heart. It can start to bear thorns and thistles. Well, as we dig into this reality, we find that you don't have to just plant the seeds of thorns to get thorns. Thorns will always be there. Thistles will always be there because we're born into a sinful world. We're born with a sinful nature, and thorns are inherent to our being. You don't have to nurture, and you don't have to go to the store to get thorn seeds. They're there. They grow on their own. But if there are thorns in your front yard, it's because you let those thorns be there. If there are thorns in your heart, it's because you are neglecting the condition of your heart. It's your choice. But if you don't watch the heart, I promise you, more thorns will arrive. You've got to watch it every single day. You have to daily take care of the heart. You have to daily beware of the attacks of the enemy. And yet so many of us don't guard our hearts. So many of us are careless with our hearts. And yet we still want God to bless us. We still want God to speak to us. We still want God to do great things. But he can't work in rocky soil. He can't work in a hardened heart. And he can't work in a heart that is full of thorns. So what's the condition of your heart today? I want to show you the devastation of a thorny heart. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 7 now. Matthew 7 and verse 16. And Jesus taught this truth. He said, you want to know who somebody really is? Don't look on their business card. You really want to know who somebody is? Don't look at what neighborhood they live in. You really want to know who somebody is? Doesn't matter what school they're going to, how skillful or, or what their hobbies are or what their giftedness is. You want to know who a person is? You know them by their fruit. I told you earlier, the way I know there's an apple tree, I see that apple. If it's an orange tree, duh, there's an orange, right? The fruit reveals the root. Jesus said the same is true of a person. You can know who they really are if you look at the fruit of their life. Well, that takes us back to that checklist, doesn't it? What it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And the question we have to ask is, what seed am I allowing in my heart? Jesus went on to say, you don't find grapes on a thorn bush. It doesn't happen. They grow on grapevines. And the same is true in a person's life. A Christian will be known by their fruit, the fruit of the Spirit flowing out of their lives. Well, where does this come from? The weeds and thorns are things that grow in our hearts with our permission. They're things that we allow to continue to grow out of the flesh, out of our fleshly desires. Instead of pulling the weeds, we allow those thorns to grow. Paul taught about this. Go to Galatians chapter 6, a passage you know well, but he brings us the teaching on where these thorns start to burst and, and be flourishing in our hearts. Verse 7, he says, don't be deceived. Don't play the fool. Generation after generation buys into the same lie. They get deceived by the enemy, just like the very first human beings, Adam and Eve. And the enemy came to him and said, hey, listen, I know what God said. I know he has a design. I know he told you don't eat this fruit, but have you taken a look at it lately? I mean, look at this stuff. Look at this stuff you don't have right now. Look at this stuff you could have. Look how good that looks. And it says they looked at that fruit and it was desirable to their eyes. 
And they started to think, I want some of that. I need some of that in my life. Yeah, I got all this that God has for me, but there's more. I want that in my life. And so because they bought into that lie, they were deceived. They invited sin or thorns into their heart. The Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatever you plant in this soil, whatever you put in your heart, it's going to bear fruit. Now the question is, is it going to be thorns and thistles, or is it going to be living fruit? For the one who sows to his flesh, what does that mean to sow to your flesh? It means when I live this day today, I have a choice. I can live under the desires of my fleshly person, my natural man, or I can live according to my appetite as a spiritual man. I can feed the things of the spirit into my life or I can feed the things of my flesh in my life. And when I sow to my flesh, here's what I'm going to get. It says you will reap, this translation says, corruption. It also translates destruction or death. That's the fruit. That's the thorns. That's the thistles. Now, I don't know of anybody who woke up today and said, you know, I've been to church. I did Falls Creek. But you know, I need to sow some wild oats. I'm going to sow me some destruction today. I'm, I, I'm going to do something that's going to make my marriage worse. I'm going to do something that's going to cause there to be an addiction in my life. Woohoo! Nobody goes there. We get deceived and think that we can live however we want to live. We can plant whatever we want to plant in our lives, and we're going to be okay. Because we're indestructible, and we got this. Don't be deceived. You can't mock God. Whatever you plant. You plant apple seeds, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get apples. You plant lust in your life, guess what you're going to get? Destruction. You plant deceit in your life, guess what you're going to get? You're going to live a lie. You plant hatred in your life, and guess what you're going to get? You're going to get the culture in which we live today. It's all a matter of what we plant in our hearts. You plant to the flesh, you're going to get weeds. You plant to the spirit, the word of God will come alive in you. His living word and he, the word of God, the living word, Jesus. So take a look at Galatians 5. Here's the list of the difference between the weeds and the seed of God's word. Galatians 5 says this, if you plant to your flesh, here's what you're going to get. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife. There'll be no unity apart from the Spirit. You guys can talk about unity all you want, all week long at camp, and you can come back all kumbaya with it, and it'll last you 30 seconds if you don't live it in the Spirit. Jealousy and outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, separation, divorce, chaos, envy and drunkenness, carousing, and other things like this. This isn't just the list, that's just some of the list. Some of the thorns and some of the thistles. When Jesus was talking about the thorns in Palestine, there was over 200 different kinds of thorns, weeds, and seeds that would lead to thistles. Over 200 varieties. There was all kinds of thorns and thistles. And this gives just a list of a few of the hundreds and thousands of thorns Satan wants to sow in your heart. So do the checklist. Look at it in verse 22. You can have those things that root and fruit in your life, or you can be rooted in the Spirit, and this can be the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So take a look at those two crops. Which one do you want in your life? And you can pray all day long and say, Lord, I want you to do this in my life. Lord, do this. Lord, make me this. 
But if you're not preparing the soil, if you're not preparing and guarding your heart to receive that seed, it can't happen because it's full of thorns or it's got limestone, unbelief sitting there, or it's got the issue of hardness because your heart is hardened to the things of God. So you've got to start not praying for the fruit. You've got to start by dealing with the issues of the soil. So how do we do that? What does that look like? We'll go to Mark chapter 4, and Jesus is going to interpret the parable of the thorny soil. Look at it, verse 18, Mark chapter 4. Mark is revealing the same parable Jesus was speaking, but he adds another dimension, another part to what Jesus taught. It says here, And there are others, some, who sow with seed among the thorns. And these are the ones who have heard the word. So these aren't people who are ignorant to the things of God. They've been to church like you have. Maybe they've been to their Falls Creek or their version of it. They've heard the word. They know what God's word says, what God's word declares. But here's the problem. The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth or possessions, and the desire for other things enters in, and it chokes out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Jesus warned him. He said, everyone's heart is going to determine whether it receives the seed or not. That the condition of what you allow to go on inside of you determines on what's going to come out of you. So the question today is, where is your heart? He tells us there are three things, three roots that bear the wrong fruit. Number one, you can write these down, the worries of this world. The second wrong root or incorrect root is the deceitfulness of riches. And the third one is a desire for other things. So let's take a look at the three roots real quick and then let's apply some weed killer. The roots of the weeds, weed number one, the worries of the world. That literally means worldly cares, caring about issues of this life, things that happen because we live in this world. Well, Psalm 34 verse 19 tells us that when we live in this world, we're going to have all kinds of issues. Now, I used to think, and I understood, because of my life before Christ, I, I know that I created a lot of my own problems. I sowed some wild seed. I was living apart from God and God's design, and there's no wonder why I had so many thorns in my heart, so many issues of life because of where I was going and the choices I was making. I get that. But I honestly thought, when I had my Falls Creek experience, it wasn't Falls Creek, but it was a crusade that the church put on in my hometown, I found Christ and gave my life to the Lord, and I really believed that after that, all of a sudden, life was going to be a piece of cake. That all of a sudden, now that I was right with God, everything was going to go right. Anybody buy into that one? Take a look at what this verse says. Many are the afflictions of the pagans. Is that what it says? Many are the problems and issues for those who dishonor God. Is that what it says? Well, many are the afflictions of who? The righteous, those who are in Christ. Because you know why? Not because God doesn't care for his children. Not because you're outside of God's will. The reason is because you live in a thorny planet. And because we live among the thorns, there are going to be thorny issues. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But here's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. An unbeliever just lives in those thorns. An unbeliever is just living under those devastating circumstances and results of their choices. Those who are in Christ, no matter the circumstances, no matter the issue of life, the Lord delivers us from some of it. The Lord delivers us from most of it. The Lord delivers us from all of it. He is our strength. He is our deliverer. He is the one that takes us through the thorn patch if we let him. 
if you're not careful, life can literally suck the life out of you. Have you noticed that? Living on this planet is not a roller coaster ride of joy, it is a challenge. This place has been corrupted by sin, and because of it, we're no longer in paradise, boys and girls. We live in a thorn-filled world. That doesn't have to change the joy of your heart. So how do you deal with this issue, the worries of this world? Well, Jesus told us, don't worry. Don't worry, you're going to have issues. He even said, don't worry, start, don't, don't be thinking about, oh, what's coming tomorrow? Man, it's been bad enough today. I can't imagine what's coming tomorrow or five years from now or ten years from now. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough problems of its own self, but I will deliver you through all things. So what's the weed killer? Jesus said, one of the things that will choke the joy of the Lord out of your life is worrying about the issues of this world. So what's the weed killer? Let me take you to it. Write it down in your notes. Go to Psalm 118 and verse 24. The weed killer for this issue, look at it, is to realize this is the day the Lord has made. It doesn't matter what you're going to face today. It doesn't matter what comes your way. I've given you examples before on the Apostle Paul. As he became a new person in Christ, his life on this earth became more thorny. Not his heart, but his life, his path. Everywhere he went, it seemed like he faced persecution beatings. Uh, they left him for dead one time. They were constantly throwing him in prison with broken bones and bone fractures and all kinds of issues. Uh, they beat his eye sockets out. They went after him. They, they tried to do everything to snuff out his life. And you know what? They couldn't touch his abundant life. They would throw him in prison and guess what? Instead of pouting, he'd have a prison party. Revival would break out because that was the day the Lord has made. Yeah, it was nasty. Yeah, it was thorny. But guess what? It wasn't going to get to his heart. And so look at the weed killer. Look at what it says. Know that this is the day the Lord has made. As a result, let us whine in it. Let us complain to God about it. Let's remind God how pathetic this situation is. No, the Bible says, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice and be glad in it. I did a word search in the Hebrew, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I've got some software that helps me. Now, I clicked on that word rejoice in the Hebrew, and it is powerful what it translates. Let me read to you what it says. It is an outward demonstration of the joy that is in us. It's an outward demonstration. It's something that comes out of our life. It's the fruit of this tree because this tree is rooted in Jesus. And no matter what I'm stepping in, no matter what thorns are out there, I'm not letting the thorns get to the heart. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. It's an outward expression of what's going on on the inside. Now, if you're grumpy on the outside, that's a reflection of what's going on on the inside. If you're angry on the outside, it's a reflection of what's going on on the inside. If you're fighting with other people, it's a reflection of what's going on on the inside. But this word rejoicing, this demonstration, this outward demonstration, this Baptist audience got to hear it. Now, this won't mean as much to you, but your parents and grandparents were never taught what true rejoicing was. They weren't allowed to rejoice in the Baptist church because here's what it literally means. In the Hebrew, it means doing a dance with vigorous movements. Come on. Come on. How cool is that? When's the last time you saw a Baptist doing any kind of vigorous movements in the church? Now, I know it's happening outside the church, but not in the life. Man, it's like David walking down the street, and he was rejoicing crazy like. You remember his wife got on him and said, man, you're acting all undignified. Well, that's been the problem. 
We put on this outer religious suit. I promise you, if the Oklahoma lottery showed up at your doorstep, knocked on the door and said, hey, we want you to understand, you just won $50 million. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. No, man. You're going to hop. You're gonna... Did you watch the Falls Creek video? Did you see rejoicing in that video? Did you see all those kids? They are doing some vigorous movements. That's awesome. Do it in church. Just do it at the creek. Do it when you get to school in a couple of months. Man, people ought to see in us, they ought to see us dancing a jig. You all don't know what that is, but your parents will explain it to you later. It's a picture of those twirling around in joy, jumping around, doing a holy jig, if you will. That's the way we need to live with life. It doesn't matter what's coming. It doesn't matter the thorns. It's our response because this is the day the Lord has made. And the Lord who made this day is the same Lord that's living in this heart. And man, that ought to get us juiced whether I'm in prison, whether I'm getting stoned by a crowd, or whether I am preaching the gospel and eight or ten kids are getting saved at Falls Creek. It isn't the circumstances that dictates the joy. It's the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord that lives within us. So we're reminded in Luke chapter 10 verse 20, don't rejoice just because you've got this power in you. He was talking about you have power over spirits and authority this new life that we have. He said, don't rejoice in that. But here's why we rejoice. Because our names are written in the book of life. That changes everything. Because you see, there will be a day when those books are open. And those names that are written in the book of life, they will inherit their eternal reward. And that name that's written there in the book of life, that holy eternal pen that is picked up by the Father has been dipped in the red ink of the blood of Jesus in your name through the blood of Christ. Through receiving Christ as Lord and Savior changes everything. And that name cannot be erased. That blood cannot be wiped out. Your name is eternally secure through Christ, your Savior, your Lord. If that doesn't give you reason to rejoice, go home. Sleep in on Sunday mornings. But experience some rejoicing and let the dance return to your story. Weed number two, we talked about weed number two, one. Weed number two, very quickly, is the deceitfulness of riches. I don't have to spend a lot of time on that one because we understand the culture in which we live. And I would tell you one of the challenges for the church in America today is this. We really don't need God. We can take care of a lot of our own problems just with our own resources. We've got the best medicine in the world. We've got the the resources to bail ourselves out of issues. We can prosper our way through the things of this world. You go to another nation, any other nation on this planet practically, and you will find a people who are desperate for God because they can't rely on their own riches. They can't rely on their bank accounts. They can't rely on mommy and daddy to pay the bills, bail us out. They have nothing but God. The problem is we have everything and we try to tack in God. Scripture says this, beware, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Teaching of Scripture is you can have more and you can have more and you can have this and that's the American dream that becomes a nightmare. If I just get more, if I just get more, if I have more friends, if I have more followers, if I have a cooler car, if I get a better job, if I have a nicer house, if I do all this stuff and get more stuff, my life is going to be happier. 
only to prove the high, one of the highest rates of suicide is among those who are the richest in this nation. It isn't the stuff that brings it to us. And yet, here's our problem. We want more stuff. We're so foolish. I want to show you some stuff that has made millions of dollars on this planet. And it makes no sense. I give you exhibit number one. Take a look. They are still selling these things. Chia pets. Pet rocks. All this crazy stuff. And millions and millions of dollars have been made on these crazy things. Somebody here got a chia? Now, sometimes you give it as a dirty Santa gift. I get that. But it, it's still going. They're still selling these things because we got to have them in our life. Exhibit number two. So this generation won't appreciate it. This is where it all started, as seen on TV. Many of your parents and grandparents are going to, they're going to put this in, the, you're going to inherit some of this stuff, all right? You're going to get a chia pet someday, or you're going to get a set of Ginsu knives for $29.95. But wait, there's more. Yeah, always more. We buy the lie. We need this stuff, right? Exhibit number three. I feel like there's a generation that needs to repent of what they did to their children. We convinced our kids that they needed this in their life, the ugliest doll that has ever been manufactured on the planet. And we taught our kids to love these things. I've got to have a Cabbage Patch doll. They were born in a Cabbage Patch. They need me to care for them. And there were fights that happened in stores over these things. Help me, Rhonda. That is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And yet it was God's will for some kid at Christmas. Because we need more stuff. My generation needed stupid stuff. Take a look at what we fell for. This is my generation. You ever heard of these things? Every comic book. All the way in the back, there was a big full spread that you can have. Now, look at those things they're trying to sell us. I need one of them little pink things in my bedroom. I need me a sea monkey. That's going to bring me joy. And we spend all kinds of money on this stuff. And I could give you example after example after example. Millions of dollars made off junk because we thought we had one more thing that would make us happy. What's the weed killer for the deceitfulness of riches? You find it, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 10. The Apostle Paul taught, he said, Therefore, I am well content. I'm content with a raise at work. I'm content with a spouse that's perfect. I'm content with children that do their chores and love me unconditionally. I'm content with a church packed out with believers excited about being in the Word. I'm content, now that's not what he said, I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, difficulties. Anybody getting juiced about Jesus? Paul was. Because you see, he was content in Christ. He was content that his name was written in the book of life. He was content that a holy God had an eternal plan for his life. No matter what thorns he was going to take in this world, he wasn't going to let them get to, their heart, to his heart. You see, we're not watching our hearts. We're not caring for our hearts. We're pumping all kinds of junk in our hearts and letting the thorns and thistles get stronger and bigger. So what's the third weed, real quick? Desire for other things. Just like Adam and Eve, that's what took them down. They had everything they needed for life and godliness. There was one itty-bitty thing, a fruit they'd never had. They had to have it all. That's our problem. We've got to have everything. What was it that took Samson down? Desire for other things. What was it that took King David down? A desire for other things. He had a kingdom. 
He had the greatest army on the planet. He had the biggest palace, the biggest home you could live in. But he still had to have other things. And it crippled his life as well. So what do we do? What is the weed killer for other things? Turn to Psalm 37 verse 4 and we're going to be finished pretty quick. I want to make sure I get you out of the air conditioning and back to 103 degree heat. Isn't that good of me? Come on. Be content in all things. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this. Here's the weed killer. Delight yourself not in your flesh, not in the culture. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you those desires, those godly desires, the desires of your heart. If your soil is right and fertile, if your soil receives the seed of God, it will bear the fruit of God. But if your heart wants all this other stuff, you want to put that in there, go for it. But it will choke out the abundant life that's found in Christ. So don't blame it on God. Don't say, God, I'm miserable. God, you're never there for me. No, I think it comes back to the condition of our heart. We either let unbelief or we let the heat of life harden us or we let the thorns thrive because we don't care for the heart. It is a personal choice. It's a weed killer for other things, delight in the Lord. The ultimate weed killer is found, though, in Galatians 5, verse 24, and this is where we close. Look at it. Everybody turn to Galatians 5 and verse 24. In Galatians, Paul's teaching about the heart, what we sow in the heart. We sow the flesh or we sow the spirit, what we allow into this life, into this heart. And then he tells us this, for those who belong to Christ, so there are those who don't belong to Christ, and there are those who know about Christ, and there are those who could care less about Christ. But the ones who belong to Christ, Paul said this, they've crucified the flesh. They don't let the flesh live in their heart. They don't let those thorns grow. What does it mean to crucify the flesh? What did it mean to crucify the thieves in Jesus? What was a crucifix ever used for? It wasn't used for punishment. It wasn't used for wicked people alone. It was used to put people to death. And what Paul was teaching is, you got a picture here in the cross why the Romans created it. They created it to be capital punishment so that a person wouldn't ever live again. Paul is saying that's what needs to happen. For those who belong to Christ, the only way you're going to have life in the Spirit is you have to kill the flesh. Daily, I have to speak death into my flesh. My flesh is always wanting to live, and so is yours. There are days I wake up, man, that checklist of all the fruit of the Spirit, you won't find it in my vocabulary or in my story. I can get as fleshly as any person in this room, I promise you. But I have to kill that. I can't let those thorns live. I've got to care for the soil. And so I'll speak to that. I will name it. And I will name that weed seed. I will say, Lord, I crucify today my anger. Lord, I crucify today this. And I'll name it specifically. Those who belong to Christ, they've crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. Verse 25 gives the second part. And if we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit as well. First, you've got to kill the weed, and then you've got to receive the seed. I call it kill and fill. Kill the flesh, ask God to fill you with his spirit, and then you bear the fruit of the one who lives in you. Let's pray about it.
every head bowed and every heart pursuing God's truth that has been shared today. What are you going to do with this? What's the condition of your heart? Only you know it and God. You may be able to fake out those around you. You may be even trying to fake yourself out. But if you're honest, what is the condition of your heart? It could be today that your heart is hardened to God. You're only here because somebody made you show up. or You're only here because you're trying to get some brownie points with God. But your heart is hardened. You need a new heart. You've never trusted Christ to forgive you of your sins. You've never, you've never received the joy of what you saw in that Falls Creek video of those young people who came to realize it's found in Christ and Christ alone. You've let the worries of this world, you've let the riches or the pursuit of more things or other things fill your heart, and it isn't filling you up, you're empty. You need Jesus. Is that you today? And what do you do? I had to call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says whoever will call on his name, turning from their sins, trusting him to be their savior, they would be saved. You've got to plant Jesus in your life. You've got to say, Lord, I need you to be the Lord of this heart, this soil. You've got to receive the seed. If that's never happened for you, I pray that you would join others from Falls Creek that are going to make their decisions public. I hope you'll come forward this morning, take a minister by the hand, and say, I needed Jesus, and I asked him into my heart this morning. We want to rejoice with you as we'll rejoice with these from Falls Creek. Some of you Falls Creekers, you've made decisions public at camp, but we want to know what God's doing in your life. We're going to encourage you to come to Hunter or one of our other staff and share and say, man, I want to let the church know what God did in my life at camp. There may be a mom or dad that is so grateful for the child that's come back for camp, but God's trying to do something in your heart. What are you going to do about that? Will you be as faithful as your children were? Maybe you're here today and you just need a family, a church family that will love on you and love God with you serve God with you. We're going to encourage you to come. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would move in this place. You would change hearts, change pathways, removing the rocks, the hard hearts, the thorns and the thistles. God, do something fresh in these moments. So we trust you, the sower, do your thing. Lord, we ask it now in Jesus' name.